welcome to the Nerd Party. It's not working. How long since you've cleaned the heads? The what? The heads. Do you have any alcohol? To drink? What? No, no, to clean it. Check the tracking. The rental place closes in two hours. Shut up, shut up. It's working. Time for a retro perspective. Hello and welcome to Retro Perspective, the show on the Nerd Party where we take a look at all of the movies released 25 years ago this week. I'm Mike. I'm still John. And today we're going to be taking a look at the movies released between August 24th and September 2nd, 1994. So, again, with some more Wednesday openings, on August 24th, which is a Wednesday, we had one new movie come out. That movie was The Advocate, which uh, had a 75% positive on Rotten Tomatoes and came in at number 19 at the box office for the week with $45,000. Have you seen The Advocate? I haven't. And uh, with what I later chose, I regret that decision. Yeah, this is weird because my parents would never, ever, ever watch movies and they would really never, ever, ever go to see movies. And this movie was playing at our local theater back in the day and they did go to see it. And I remember my mom coming home and talking about how great it was and how on the poster, like they say, you know, please don't reveal who the defendant in this trial is. And then she told me who the defendant in the trial was. Was it us? No. Oh, no. Okay. In fact, the original title for the movie like revealed it, but it's oh. a, it's a pick. I don't know the circumstances, but this thing has kind of a lighthearted tone. Uh, Colin Firth, a very young Colin Firth, is the star. Mm. And they bill it as like the, the original courtroom drama. Because it takes place like, I don't know, a thousand years ago, something like that. Fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. I wanted to check it out, but I just, you know, just had other other choices to go with instead. Yeah, I made I made one of those choices too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, on on Friday, August 26th, we had four movies released. Mm-hmm. Uh coming in at well, I don't know. It, it didn't rank in the in the box office, but it had a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. Karina Karina. Criminal that it has a 39%. So you Absolutely it? criminal. I did not watch it this week, but I watched it years ago. Uh, I was introduced to it because of uh, my girlfriend at the time, Aaron, who uh, was a big fan of it and uh, roped me in because I said, I don't know if I want to watch this. And she said, Ray Liotta's in it. And I said, all right, fine. I'll give it a shot. And uh, I I loved it. I, I I loved it back then. I haven't watched it since, but... You know, for my money, it's the type of uh, heartstring puller that is that works. That really works. It's got some great performances. Whoopi Goldberg's in it, uh, and she's she's great. Ray Liotta's great, playing a, a role a little bit different than you're used to, and it it examines race relations. Um, not like deep dive sort of hardcore race relations stuff, but it does portray the. Uh, 
the way things were back in the 50s. And it has uh, an exchange that I still remember that was magnificent where I, I forget the actor's name, Stephen Williams, I want to say, but the guy who played Mr. X on the X-Files. Yeah, yeah, Stephen yeah. Williams, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he basically exposes himself as a big sort of like phony type of guy because he simply recites the uh, jacket description of Louis Armstrong, <laughs> you know, just to demonstrate that he knows his, his stuff about music and everything. It's very cute. So, yeah. yeah. I was at an X-Files convention in Chicago with, with Stephen Williams back in the day. And yeah. there was this moment where he's up on stage and since it was Chicago, some guy was like, can you, you know, give us your line from the Blues Brothers? And he's like, what line? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm going to get those Blues Brothers if it's the last thing I do or whatever that line was. Yeah. You know? And he's like could you repeat it for me again? Like he, like as much as like the person, you know, asking and as much as like people who watch that movie again and again and again, like know him for that line, he had absolutely no recollection of it whatsoever. And then like, he finally says it, but in like a completely different way than he says it in the movie. Yeah. Weird. Anyway. Uh, not no. I mean, that gets back to the whole thing with uh, Shatner's legendary bit on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, you know where where somebody's like, "What was the combination in in whatever episode it was?" It goes, "I, I it was, was twenty five years ago. I I don't remember." You know, like that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so Karina, Karina, worth checking out. I think so. All right. Well, next on the list which also, uh, well, it came in at number 13 at the box office with $2.4 million and a 0% positive on Rotten Tomatoes, Wagons East. Yes, Wagons freaking East. John Candy's last feature film uh, committed and um, before his untimely death from a heart attack, and I watched it. Did you? No. Oh, what a what a choice you made, Mike. Yeah. Uh, very rarely do I uh, hate movies that I watch, but I hated this movie, and I they absolutely waste a whole bunch of talent in this movie. Okay, first and foremost. Yes, it's a comedy about a bunch of people who find that the West is just too much for them to handle, so they want to hire a wagon master. Of course, winds up being John Candy and head east. Go back home. Because there's no rule that they can't give up. So it's got John Candy. It's got Richard Lewis. It's got a Voyager twofer, as it's got Robert Picardo hmm. and uh, Ethan... Uh, uh, the guy who played Neelix. Ethan um, Phillips? Ethan Phillips, Yes. They're in it. And I'm like, oh, hey, look, it's a Voyager thing. Uh, and it's got a number of other people. Uh, Tracy Gold is in it, I think. And um, But it's a bunch of people that I would not uh, think are particularly proud of this film. Everybody obviously signed on because it was like, hey, have let's have a zany Western with John Candy. I'd have signed on. But it is it is as if somebody went to the waste paper basket where they threw out all of the bad jokes they didn't use in Blazing Saddles and they threw them all in there and then somebody happened across this garbage and said, hey, there's a movie in here. 
and put that on screen. Oh, well, what yes. can you do? I mean, it is It's kind awful. of strange. I mean, if only you had some sign that this movie was going to be bad. I don't know. Like maybe if but, you had, you know, seen some reviews or something. I don't know. It was uh, maligned back in the day. It's not like this is a, a recent thing where people have gone back and, and realized. But I can tell you that um, what have I tried to do this year for as part of our little project? I've tried to watch all of the Westerns. Mm. This was a Western. Mm. And there you go. And it was John Candy's last film. And I had it in my head. I said, you know what? Yeah, everybody hates it. But maybe this is one of those little gems where with time... You come back to it and you say, hey, no, this is all right. It's not as bad as everybody's saying. Yeah. That is incorrect. It is. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of Westerns this year. And uh, I don't think I've encountered a single one that I would call good. Not even Wyatt Earp? That is correct. Okay. Not even Wyatt Earp. I didn't care for Bad Girls. I didn't care for Wagons East. I didn't care for Wyatt Earp. I didn't care for uh, Silent Tongue. Mm. Um, I think Where the Rivers Flow North kind of counts as a Western. It's the right time period, Mm -hmm. although it doesn't take place in the desert. Uh, That one was okay. It was mediocre-ish. So that's just off the top of my head, the the Westerns I've watched this year. And oof, all duds. Maybe they should stop making them. No, because every so often you get a really, really great one. Like okay. Tombstone or the remake of 310 to Yuma. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, like those two. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, in the in the great history of film, more films have sucked than have not. Yes. Fair statement? Yes. This is true. So, there you go. Okay. This is just uh, demonstrating that principle. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. So, number eight at the box office with $4 million dollars. And 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. Boy, what a great week for movies. Mm-hmm. Camp Nowhere. Did you, Is it, did you watch this? No. Did you? No. Oh, no. <laughs> no. No, I didn't. Well, you watched Wagons Eat. You're like, what? No. Why would I watch that? But you watched Wagons oh. East. So. But it didn't have John Candy's last performance in Camp uh, Nowhere. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, no, it looked really bad. I remember when this movie came out. I remember at the time being a kid who was probably targeted for this movie that it looked really bad. So, yeah, I didn't watch it. Is it a Disney thing? Uh, I don't remember. It might have been. I'm not yeah. positive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. But number one at the box office. With mm-hmm. $16.5 million and 47%. On Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. Natural Born Killers. Yep. Directed by Oliver Stone, based mm-hmm. on a story by Quentin Tarantino, yep. who has disowned the movie. He's in mm-hmm. the, the, you know, 53%. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, did you watch this one? I watched it uh, in, in the movie theater when it was released. I bought the soundtrack. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to reconstruct like the whole song list, but I, oh, I couldn't um, couldn't really find a good list online. The well, there there's particularly one song that you wouldn't really want to play with the windows open 
uh, from Patti Smith. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that's not going to be a crowd pleaser. Um, but the soundtrack was uh, produced by Trent Reznor, actually. Yeah. And so he... Nine Inch Nails yeah. on there. He did his Trent... song, I think. He did his Trent reznor thing and uh, basically blended all of these songs They were so they were like all one track sort of feel mm-hmm. sort of thing. So that was interesting. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And uh, a lot of... Uh, Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Really good soundtrack. And I would say a really good movie. I would say the best movie of the year so far. Easily. Okay. What do you think about Natural Born Killers? I I wouldn't be in that camp. I wouldn't call it one of the best of the year. I remember seeing it with my brother. I saw it. I've seen it several times since. Um, and it's always a movie where I sort of struggled with it because I think that there is a statement to be made for the fact that this is stone layering some of his trademark pretentiousness on top of an interesting trashy story by Quentin Tarantino. Um, and I think that the two approaches don't meld properly. And I think that Stone doesn't have a particularly good handle on how to deal with what wind up being these these comic moments that happen that with the thesis and the, the overall tone of the movie just don't work uh, and make you laugh i guess but not it it's not right it doesn't it just doesn't feel like it meshes the way that it should see i don't know like i i think i think it def- definitely qualifies as like satire but i think it's one of those satires which doesn't make you laugh right like the story is told in a comical way but it's not supposed to be funny. Does that make sense? Yes, and I that and that's not that's not you know too atypical for a satire. You know, yeah. like it's it's something where when I'm talking about the comedy bits, I'm talking about something like Timely Lee Jones's character mm-hmm. is just down, the, the nose pinching and the way that you know he behaves during the riot at the end and everything is just a. It's funny because I don't know what else to do with it sort of thing. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it could have, should have been played differently to work better with the material. I think that there is a, um, just a decided tonal mismatch. And it's very obviously Stone still working in his full JFK mode mm-hmm. with the way that the, you know, the, the, the picture, you know, flips and interchanges. Now, I, I will say I'm not beating up on the movie i didn't hate the movie i just i'm very middle of the road with the movie i think that there are some fascinating bits to it like robert downey jr's character who's making fun of specifically that genre of uh you know news magazine television that was particularly popular in the 1990s um and you know his down to his australian accent and everything 
and you know the stuff like a current affair that showed on the fledgling fox network yeah and stuff like that so it was um you know some of the stuff worked and just some of the stuff didn't yeah i mean i would say some of the stuff worked and some of the stuff didn't but on the whole i mean i think that there's so much going on in it which is like really really interesting that even like the things that don't stick you know i'm willing to forgive you know and and I mean, I think, like, I've always, since the first time I saw it, I've tried to kind of, like, piece together, like, what is it saying, you know? What's the message? And, you know, like, sort of, and, like, the, the way that they wrap up an episode of He-Man, you know, like, that that kind of thing, right? But, mm-hmm. like, you're not going to get that from this. And I, and I think that that's, like, okay. Like, I think that it's one of those movies where it throws a bunch of stuff out there and sort of just makes you deal with it in a sense. Sure, and and that is fine. I yeah. just don't think that it um I I just don't th- like I don't think that throwing it out there necessarily constitutes um anything more than I mean Stone was going through a period where because of his critical and financial successes and his he you know he became this mythic figure in filmmaking you know in this time period i think that you have uh you know again to get to the pretentiousness and everything i remember at the time they having they were having like uh these town hall-esque things where stone was sitting up on stage like a professor and john norris or kurt loader or whatever from mtv was it was probably john norris actually loader was too busy you know being cool in the studio and everything but like you know interviewing what are you trying to say with it and all of these kids you know out there talking about well it's a really violent movie but what type of statement are you trying to make with the violence he's like well i'm trying to say that violence in and of and in a way it almost seems as if with um quentin tarantino's commentaries on how movie violence is not the cause of real world violence that he's in a sense done a, a long delayed repudiation of stone of saying this is nonsense because stone was up there saying, well, the violence we want because there was all of this hand wringing, watch all of these murders on television. And it's why we're all killing each other sort of thing. And it's, I, you know, it, it was, there were so many better ways you could have used different material or even this script to more effective ends to, convey that yeah i mean i don't know if i necessarily agree with that uh i mean i'm i'm curious i never read tarantino's original script i had it somewhere and a friend of mine read it and said that it wasn't that different you know the thing that tarantino hates is the rodney dangerfield stuff which was added Mm -hmm. after he left and because he should hate it (laughs) because of that he's refused to ever watch the movie supposedly I find it hard to believe since he's talked about how Oliver Stone is one of his all-time favorite directors like even if he is like violently opposed to the changes which were made to it I find it hard to believe that curiosity wouldn't drive Tarantino to watch how one of his favorite directors interprets a script of his even if it's to see how much he doesn't like it, you know? 
I don't know. I think the Rodney Dangerfield stuff, Tarantino maybe dodging a bullet by not watching that part. Um, cause it's, I, I get it. I know why it's in there. I know what he's trying to say and do with that and everything. But I just think that, um, again, it's, it's stone overestimating his ability to use these, these moments to effective message sending or what have you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think that. I, I mean, I think that the message is sent effectively, and I think that that's you know one way in which it is. I think you know there there is so much going on in this, so many different styles and all uh, and all that stuff, and the way that it's you know just kind of like mashed together in that you know really interesting editorial style. I think really works for me. I mean, you know, the editor of this, Hank Corwin, who you know, was doing like a lot of like commercials and stuff and music videos had been like a consultant on JFK and has since gone on to edit things like, well, he, he edits Terrence Malick movies now. And, uh, he also edits, uh, Adam McKay's movies, like the big short and vice. And I don't know, I, I just like the stuff that he does is, is really interesting to me. And, um, I'm always just sort of like fascinated by how it's put together, um, especially since there's like so many pieces, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know how they do it. And um, yeah, I, I find it to be like really engaging and everything. And I, I love it. And I, I do think it's the best movie we've seen so far this year by, by a long shot. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, I, I will say like, I didn't see it in the theater I saw it about five years later, you know, when I was getting all into Tarantino and stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is, you know, one of the last Tarantino things I haven't seen. And they always had like the two disc or two cassette uh, director's Mm -hmm. cut, like sitting on the shelf at Windy City Video. And I'm like, this is, you know, director's cut, two tapes. Oh, my God. So... I, I rented it one time and I and I bring it home. I'm like, tonight's the night when I'm going to watch this. I'm going to sit down and watch both the tapes and whatever. And like I, the movie plays through tape one and then, you know, gets to the end and the credits start rolling. And I'm like, this is really interesting because the way that the credits, you know, they play over the the movie like there's like a montage mm-hmm. of like stuff that you don't see in the movie and i'm like huh this is interesting they're like putting the credits like halfway through the movie this is so weird i've still got a whole other tape to go mm-hmm. you know and then it gets to the end and i'm like okay i don't know what just happened there let me, let me stick in tape two and tape two is just like the special features so like the, ah. the whole time that i was watching this i was thinking like like I wasn't watching it thinking like we're wrapping up. This is coming to an end. It does shift gears halfway through anyway. And I'm like, where's it going to go next? It's going to like do this like two more times. Like this is going to be like this epic, like four hour movie. And so when it got to the end, I didn't realize that I had just watched the end and it completely skewed my interpretation of what I was watching as I was watching it, you know? It was like very like unsatisfying because I was expecting there to be another two hours of movie. I don't know if that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. 
and that's that like can be disorienting. That's like one movie where you can do that, and it's like okay, you know, there, there's a movie which yeah. just came out that actually does that. Uh, it's called Climax, and uh, you can it's on Prime right now. You should check it out. It's insane, but it does like all sorts of crazy stuff in terms of like time shifting and everything, and they literally play the credits in the middle of the movie. And then you get to the end and it's not like, okay, now we're going to play like the real credits. It's like, no, you saw the credits halfway through the movie. So when the movie ends, it just ends. It's really weird. That's not the weirdest thing in the movie by far, but check it out. Sounds cool. Check it out. It's weird. Um, Mm -hmm. And and then, and then my other thing, they did a thing a couple years ago at the Chicago film festival where um, they did a, Oliver Stone director's cut double feature where they showed the director's cut of natural born killers and the director's cut of Alexander and Oliver Stone was there to do like Q and a and stuff like that. And he came in like after natural born killers and there was a problem with his microphone and he was really mad and he kept on like calling out like the tech guys, and they're like, "Oh, this microphone's not working." And then he went to introduce Alexander, and he's like, "I went up to the booth and I talked to the projectionist and made sure because Alexander is a movie which, you know, it, it relies on the sound and the picture being perfect. So I, I wanted to make sure that it was going to be perfect. And 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 so you know, I'm mean, like, God, I would not want to be the projectionist who messed up anything during an Oliver Stone movie." that he was attending. Yeah. Sounds like the time that I saw uh, Shatner's world and his uh, radio mic cut out uh, during one of the most emotional moments of the piece. And then it had to be interrupted and you could see this uh, young lady couldn't have been out of her early twenties, like hands shaking, trying to get the microphone and Shatner's not being a jerk or anything. Like he's on stage but you can tell from his body language that he's like, well, why, why didn't you have a backup? Why didn't you, why weren't you ready for this? Yeah. Like sort of thing going on. Yeah. <sighs> Uncomfortable moments, whatever. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So that is it for the week of August 26th. Should we move on to the following week? I think we should. Okay, another Wednesday opening on August 31st. Coming in at number four at the box office for the week with $6.8 million and an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes, Milk Money. Starring Ed Harris and Melanie Griffith. Yep. Did you watch this or have you seen it? Good goodness, no! I remembered the I remembered the ad campaign and uh, and seeing the first ad for it and saying, "Oh no, that's terrible." I remember seeing so. the ad campaign and thinking, like, this might be funny, you know. Um, but 
the thing that I remember most. <laughs> I never saw it, um, but I remember like when it came out, like I was, I, I went with my aunt and uncle and my little cousin up to uh, their their like summer house in Galena, Illinois, which is like it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, and you know we were like looking for something to do, and they're like, let's go see a movie, and they. You know, we're looking at the showtimes and stuff, and they were like, "How about Milk Money? That looks funny." And I just like <laughs> I, I remember like seeing the commercials and thinking like, "That is not a movie that I want to watch with my aunt and uncle and little cousin." Right? It just yeah. seems like that is just you know going to be super duper awkward. And I can't remember if I was like, nah, nah, come on, let's go see Camp Nowhere or something, whatever, you know, <laughs> but we ended up not seeing it, thank God. So I still haven't seen it. I was intrigued by this because I like Ed Harris. I like Melanie Griffith. Yeah. It's produced by Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall. So, you know, there's that. But mm -hmm. ultimately, I chose something else. So, uh, So September 2nd. There were three movies which came out. Um, one which I, I couldn't find any box office information on, but it had 66% on Rotten Tomatoes, was There Goes My Baby. Yeah. Uh, did you see this? I didn't. No. Okay. No. Um, boy, I watched the trailer and I don't even remember what this was about now. Yep. <laughs> It it is. Is oh. this the one? Is it? This is the Steve Martin one, right? No, 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 no. This is the one no. that took place like in the fifties. Oh, right. And yeah. it was like okay. coming of age, like high school, yeah. going into college. Dermot Mulroney. It looks like Keanu Reeves is in there somewhere. I don't know, but hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Next movie, which also didn't, you know, chart on on the box office, but which had eighty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Fresh. Yeah. Did you see this? I did. Yeah. I watched this. Me too. Uh it is it is on Hulu uh right now. So included in your Hulu uh package. But yeah, I this was a movie I wanted to see in the day, but was yet another one of those movies that wasn't gonna come out to my podunk little town that I lived in. Um and yeah, yeah, it was uh you know, it's a movie about a kid growing up in the city who is, uh, you know, he runs drugs for people and just over time sees all the, the violence takes an emotional toll on him that spurs him into action to try to figure out how to get himself out of the mess. And it features a fine performance from a, just shy of Pulp Fiction, turning him into a megastar, Sam Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I had, had you seen this? You hadn't seen this movie before, right? No, I, I hadn't. This is my first time. Yeah, I hadn't seen it either. It was directed by this guy whose name I'm going to mispronounce, Bo Boaz Yakin or something. Yeah, that that's as close as I'd get to. He He's directed a, a number of movies since then. This was his first movie. But he did like remember the Titans as probably his biggest one. Um, he was supposed to direct the Batman Beyond live action movie, which they were going to do after the Schumacher movies, and then they shelved it in order to do Batman Year One, 
with Darren Aronofsky, which they then shelved in order to do Batman Begins. So, you know, yeah. it all worked out for the best. But still, I'd love to see his Batman Beyond movie. Um, yeah, it would have been interesting. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, I I like the premise of this movie, the idea that it's like this kid who's like super smart and, you know, he's going to use all of these players against each other in order to, you know, sort of like protect himself. But it just, it never really grabbed me the way I was hoping it would, you know? Yeah. It, it just didn't, it didn't work for me as much as I, I would have hoped. So, uh, it wound up being something where I, I think I'd hyped myself up for it for a little bit because I remember seeing particularly positive reviews back in 94 and I do like it. I did appreciate it. I think that the, uh, the cast is a mix of not great and very good. Um, I found there were certain things that, that, were very compelling, very dramatic, very tense. But there were certain scenes which played more like um, first-year monologues that you'd see in acting school. Like when his sister is talking about why she's with the drug dealer, and it's it's a bit overwrought. Um, I think that there's a little bit of a... Uh, you know, Sam Jackson gives a fine performance, but his character isn't really rooted in the story the way that I think would have worked best. Um, and I, I won't lie, the 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 scene where they have the dog fighting, yeah, I couldn't watch. Yeah, I, I, it got to that point, and I actually went up skipping ahead to the end of it, like doing the ten second skip. Yeah, because I cannot watch people being cruel to children or animals or women. And it like, I sort of there, there's this part in me. I can't watch it. I sort of go a little um, like Russell Crowe's character in LA confidential. I get really upset mm-hmm. when people cross that particular line Yeah, and it has to be done in, in a certain way for me to be able to sort of like cope with it. But just the idea that I was about to watch a dog fight really I just, I like, I could, like, I understood it was part of it. It was part of building with this kid for what was wrong with his life and how he had to go forward. But I just couldn't, you know, uh, you know, lock into that part. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 There's a few scenes like that for sure, you know. But, um, yeah, you know, it's one of those movies which I, I, I appreciate what they were trying to do and everything. But I think, it didn't come together as well as I had hoped. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. It's not bad. I would still say, you know, if you've got Hulu uh, and it's, you know, and it's streaming, it's worth, you know, it'd be a fine way to find something to check out. You know, it's not bad. Um, it, it is good. It's just not, yeah, it just doesn't live up to the promise. Yeah. All right, so there was one more movie which came out on September 2nd. Uh, It came in at number 17 at the box office with $1.7 million and a 43% on Rotten Tomatoes, A Simple Twist of Fate. 
this is the Steve Martin movie. Ah, this is the Steve Martin one. Okay, stars in and also wrote, and it's about uh, a guy who like adopts a baby who isn't his, but then as the kid grows up, the um, uh, biological father wants the kid back and seems like a little more dramatic uh, than you're used to from Steve Martin as a writer, at least from yeah. what I, you know, I, I always think of like Bowfinger or whatever, but uh, yeah. did you see this? No. Yeah. Didn't look too good. So I, I was on the fence. If I'd had the time, I would have probably checked this out as well. But alas, yeah, I, yeah, I, I was not at all compelled to watch this. So nah. I've got, I've got, you know, I've got girl kids, and so you know that, that it's really easy to tug on that heartstring for me, and I, you know, it's right up my alley. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. All right. So for the first week. Karina, Karina, is that is that your uh, your? By default, yes. Karina, Karina wins that week. Okay, Natural Born Killer wins the first eight months of the year for me. Okay. Fair <laughs> and enough. For for the second week, I, I guess Fresh was the only thing that we had seen, right? So yeah, so it's okay. got to win. All right. And again, I liked it. So okay, so next week on September 9th, we have. Five movies that were released. Rapa Nui, What Happened Was, The Next Karate Kid, Mm. A Good Man in Africa, and Trial by Jury. But until then, John, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, uh, my online name is Kessel Junkie. Uh, I've been a little active on Twitter, but mainly you'll find me logging uh, movies over on Letterboxd, uh, occasionally writing on KesselJunkie.com. And you can find me right here, uh, co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with uh, Matthew Rushing. So uh, where can people find you, Mike? Well, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K. You can also find me on my website, FilmDamagePod.com, doing a show called Film Damage. And you can find me on Trek.fm doing a show called Tracks on the Line. So, yeah, uh, that's it for this week. Things are starting to heat up. You know, I mean, uh, Labor Day weekend, which, you know, is it's, it's always bad. You know, always <laughs> uh, uh, you, no, nothing ever big or significant or good comes up because no one goes to see movies on Labor Day weekend. But now we're past the summer. We're headed into the fall. We're headed into awards season, and this is where all the cool stuff starts coming out. So, oh, no. Oh, no. Is Legends of the Fall coming up? I don't know. It might be. Oh, I hope not. We shall see. But until then, be kind. Rewind. Rewind.